escape room. We're getting out today. I've been talking about escape room for the past three weeks, and now fourth week. And I see Kendall over there. Congratulations, girl. You thought you escaped me, didn't you? No, Kendall just graduated from Bible college, Kendall Gunther. Can we say amen and give her a appreciation? Amen. Escape room. For the past four weeks, I've been preaching about escape room, and I've been using escape room as a metaphor of us being trapped, maybe trapped with addictive patterns or trapped in maybe compulsive thought patterns or maybe trapped in a situation you just can't quite get your way out of. Well, God has promised us that nothing will come upon us greater than what we can bear and that with everything that's thrown at us in life, God will make a way out. Now, there's some precursors to that in that passage that talks about, you know, living right and being right before God and doing right. But if you do that, you lay the groundwork for God to be able to rescue you from anything that you get entangled in in this life. And so last week I talked about the power of a team. That I actually went to an escape room a couple weeks ago and I found out right quick if I didn't have a team with me, there's no way I was going to get out of that thing. I had to have some smart people around me and thank God I did and we got out because you only get a certain amount of time. We had 60 minutes to get out. But I will confess, even with a good team, I don't think we would have made it out. Had it not been for one thing, and that, that is, on the wall, there was an intercom. There was a box with a speaker and a button you could push, and you could call the folks who ran the place and ask for clues. And had we not received those clues, I'm pretty sure there's no way in Texas we were going to get out of that thing. And what's interesting is that it, it, was, it was interesting watching the dynamics of the group because we all were prideful and none of us wanted to call. Because we thought if we call, we're giving in, man. Come on, it's not us. But what did we do? We broke down and we called and we started getting clues. And there's no way we would have gotten out of that thing had we not had some help. So immediately I thought, oh, I'm preaching on this. God has given us the greatest resource. God has given us the greatest, the greatest opportunity He's given us a power that is absolutely mind-boggling, and that is the power of prayer. Just to be able to call on His name. And sometimes we're too prideful to ask Him for help, and we're trying to figure out all of our own problems and issues on our own, and that might be why you're in that problem or issue. Because you've been fighting the fight by yourself, and you've not gone over and pushed the intercom button and said, as one of my spiritual mentors, H. Richard Hall, said, sometimes the most powerful prayer is this. Help! <laughs> Just, I need help and cry out for help. Can somebody shout amen? 
I'm going to read one passage of Scripture, and then I want to walk through this entire context of this because it's so rich and it's so good. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm just going to read one verse, and then we'll work our way back through it. Chapter 6, verse 18. The Bible says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, and uh, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So, so let's read it again, then we're going to walk through it, okay? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, what's Paul talking about? Well, in this passage, he's dealing with fighting. And he's telling the Christian church in Ephesus that you're engaged in a fight. Unfortunately, none of us were born on neutral ground. We were all born in a battle zone. We were all born in a battle between good and evil, light and darkness, Satan and God. And Satan wants to sift our souls out. God's here to rescue us. We were born into a battle zone. And Paul tells us that God has given us certain tools to be able to fight with. If you'll notice Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So who, whose power are we fighting in? We're fighting in the Lord's strength and the Lord's power. Be strong in the power of His might, not your own might. And then he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen to this. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He lays out four different categories, strata, of powers that we're fighting against. I believe these are spiritual powers. Some commentators believe it's like natural things, but I just believe it's spiritual powers. Now, hold your place right here and walk back with me to chapter 1 of Ephesians, and I want to show you something that, that I found years ago that I just think is the coolest thing ever. In chapter 1, he said in verse 20, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's saying that when Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, that God seated him in a position of authority. What does that position look like? Well, he says it in verse 21, far above all principality, all power, all might, and dominion, and every name that is named. The first four of those sound very familiar to me to the four different categories we just read about in Ephesians chapter 6. What does that mean, Brother Hans? Now hang on with me here because this is a powerful point. What it means is Paul began the book of Ephesians by telling the Ephesian church that Christ had been exalted because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He's been exalted above every power in, on earth, in heaven, in the natural or in the spirit realm. He's already conquered it all. And now he's seated in a position of authority above it all. And then he comes to Ephesians 6 and closes the book by saying, now you guys are fighting 
Those four categories of powers that Christ has already defeated. Okay, I'm going to say it to this side. We're fighting those four levels of powers or authorities that Jesus has already overcome. Now, now let me give you a couple more verses here before we... I'm on, a, I'm on a rabbit trail right now, okay? Verse 22 of chapter 1, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So now all of those authorities and powers are under his feet. So now he looks in a position of authority, positionally, He's looking down on all of the demonic realm of all the spiritual powers that come against us. He's already conquered it all. Well, where does that leave me and you? Chapter 2, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ. So somehow, even though we're still on planet earth, we're still in this earthly body, we're still fighting the good fight. Positionally, we've been raised up with Christ and now positionally in Him, we stand above all of those powers and authorities that come against us. Nothing Satan can throw at us, God hasn't already seen coming our way. Nothing Satan can throw at us, God does God not have the authority and power over. Nothing that comes against us has he not already defeated in his death, burial, and resurrection. That'll make a dead man want to shout. Come on, somebody. Everything's already been defeated. He's won the battle. We're just down here fighting a skirmish war until he returns again. He has authority. The fight's already been fixed. It's already been rigged in our favor. We're walking into the battle knowing that we're victors before the first blow is thrown. Hallelujah. Before the clock starts, before the bell rings, we've already been declared victor because our elder brother has already come on the scene and done what we couldn't do and won the victory in his flesh when he rose from the dead. And now Paul said... By the resurrection of the body, he's been declared the Son of God with power. Hallelujah. And now we're on the winning side. Hallelujah. We're just waiting on a victor to come back and take us home. Hallelujah. Everything that's coming against you, God's already set under your feet. There's nothing that can, that's going to stand against you if you stand in his power, in his authority, and in the position he gave you. Put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Just go ahead and raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. So why are we complaining about the devil so much? Why are we complaining? about? He's already defeated. Now, does he cause real problems? Absolutely. Is he in the earth realm? Absolutely. But we know the key. We have the, we have the victory already. So, now that I've prefaced this with that concept, now let's talk about the intercom. Let's talk about the power of prayer. Several years ago, I put together 
a bunch of teaching that I would do for pastor's classes, and I put it in a book called First Passage, and I've got a chapter on prayer in there. If y'all want it, I got it in the bookstore. Special deal today only. <laughs> but if you want it, I got it in the bookstore, and there's a chapter on prayer, and I talk about prayer, and I'm not just going to regurgitate the chapter, but I'm going to use these three points. First of all, prayer moves God to action. Prayer moves God to action. And you say, yeah, but Brother Hans, God is sovereign and He's omniscient. He knows everything. And if He knows everything, then why in the world do we have to pray about anything? God's already got it figured out. He already knows the future. He knows every hair that's on our head. He knows every sparrow that falls. Why do we need to pray? It's a legitimate question. And my only answer is, Because God designed it that way. God designed it to work that way. And He willed for us to have the opportunity to pray. And when we pray, a couple things happen. Number one, it requires faith on our part to pray. And number two, it shows a dependence on our part on God. If we didn't need him, if we didn't need to pray, then we could just walk around and do anything we wanted to. But that's not the way God designed it. He didn't design us as robots. He designed us as living beings with a will. And he wills for us to pray and ask him in prayer, and he then responds to prayer and does amazing things. So we could ask this question then. Well, what if we don't pray? Are there things that God will not do Because we do not pray, I'm going to say yes. Because God designed it that way. So think of it. If we do not pray, then there are some things God will not do in our lives or in the earth realm. I think it was John Wesley. We can argue about the theology of this. But I think it was John Wesley who said God does nothing except in response to prayer or in answer to prayer. So God has designed it. So that we could ask and he would respond. And you know when God hears us, you know, hear us, O Lord. When God hears us, there's no deliberation, I don't think, between hearing and responding. With us, we hear something like, are we going to do it? Uh, Give me a few days. I think with God, it's instant action. It might take a while to get to us for whatever reason. But I think God hears prayers and responds. And that's what he wants from us, to hear and respond, to hear and obey. Amen? But to God is omniscient. He's chosen prayer as the vehicle by which we're to get things from him, to walk in relationship with him. And God delights in us asking him. He delights in us and showing our total dependency upon Him. So the second thing is prayer has no boundaries. Prayer moves God to action. Prayer has no boundaries. We can pray today for folks in China, for folks in Africa, for folks in the Caribbean islands. We can pray today for men in outer space. God has no boundaries, and God can answer prayers instantly for those folks, just like He could if we were praying with someone right here sitting next to us this morning. Because God knows no limits, God knows no boundaries, and we can pray. And it's interesting, you can pray some things, and even time doesn't matter. 
You can pray for some things. I believe if Jesus tarries and I go by the grave, I believe there are going to be prayers that I've prayed that my grandkids or great-grandkids or great-great-grandkids will walk in that I may never see the answer to, but they're going to get the answer. You say, no, Brother Hans, once you're gone, all your prayers are dead. No, I believe our prayers stand as a memorial, hallelujah, before God. They stand as memorials before God, and God sees them somehow in the span of eternity. How many of us have known people that their parents prayed for them and prayed for them, and they lived sinful lives, and their parents died, and sometime later they came to the Lord, and they fulfilled the purpose God had on their life? That shows me that God is still interested in answering prayers. There's been prayers for saints. This church is 102 years old. Think of the prayers that God is now answering. Oh, hallelujah. From the saints who have been here and prayed in this church and prayed for this city. Wow. Prayer has no boundaries. Years ago, John G. Lake, who was a great Pentecostal leader, was a missionary to South Africa. And he heard of a prayer request of a man who was in, in very deep need in, in the state of Minnesota. And John G. Lake began praying for him. And Lake said, when I began praying for him, I entered into deep prayer and felt myself traveling across continents right to this man and right in his house. And he said, I walked up to the man in the spirit and laid hands on him and he was instantly healed. Sometime later, this is before phones and internet and all that, sometime later they received word that that man had been healed at the exact hour on the exact day that John G. Lake had prayed. Now you say that sounds like spirit travel, that sounds like the occult. Well listen, that was first in the Bible because I know of a man who was translated in the New Testament. He appeared, Philip, he appeared in one place. He all of a sudden woke up and appeared in another place. Why? Because God's into that kind of stuff. God doesn't know boundaries. We can be praying for people in India today, which we need to. We could be praying for them, and God could be ministering to them in the night sometime. I had missionaries contact me this week praying for our city and asking me how things were going. And I'm like, you guys are praying for us, and you're in Asia. Yes, God knows no boundaries. There was a story years ago, I don't know the veracity of this story, but there was a story years ago of men at war, and they were, they were uh, Navy sailors, and they were on a ship, and one guy was asked to do something very bold on the ship right while they were taking fire. And the young man asked the captain, he said, could you wait? Could you wait to a certain time? The captain said, okay, son. And he, and he said, why? And he said, because I know it's going to be 5 a.m. back home, and my mom's going to be praying. And I know my mom's going to be praying, and I know her prayer's going to cover me. And how many men came out of Vietnam or came out of World War II or came out of Iraq because their parents were praying, their grandmamas were praying? I heard back in the Appalachian Mountains where I came from during wartime, you could walk down a holler and you could hear parents praying outside of their houses, out the windows and out the doors for their young men and women who were at war. Hallelujah. How many knows prayer knows no boundaries? Prayer moves God to action. The final thing is prayer does the impossible. Prayer accomplishes the impossible. Prayer does what money can't do. Prayer does what prestige can't do. Prayer does what intellect can't do. Prayer does what hard work can't do. Prayer does what knowing the right person can't do. Prayer does the impossible. Can somebody shout amen? There's no sickness beyond God's ability to heal. There's no sinner beyond God's ability to save. 
There's no demon beyond God's ability to cast it out. There's no tragedy too terrible for God not to intervene. There's nothing too hard for God. There's no tension in a city that's too big for my God to come and send revival to and send peace to. Come on, say it with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Back to our focal text, 618 of Ephesians, said praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Some have preached on this and believe that all prayer means all types of prayer or all kinds of prayer. And that's definitely a possibility. There's different angles on prayer. And I'll show you a couple in a minute. But he says praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the original language, in the Spirit. The same terms used in the original language when we talk about other gifts in the Spirit. I believe, as my mentor Dr. Elias Malky said years ago, it's praying in the Holy Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, we're praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but my version of that text in English has Spirit with a capital S. I mean, it's not the Spirit of man, it's praying in the Holy Spirit. So he says, Paul says in Corinthians, he said, I will pray with my mind and then I will pray in the Spirit. Meaning I'm going to pray with my understanding, whatever your native language is. Mine is English most of the time. And when I try to pray in English, I come to an end sometimes. And then I pray in unknown tongues. I pray in the Spirit. Paul said, I will pray in my language with my understanding. And then I'll pray in the Spirit because I can pray to a limited degree with my understanding. But when I get in the Spirit, I pray with an unlimited, wide-open vista. And God starts praying mysteries through me. He starts praying my future for me. He starts praying for things that are going to come my way that I don't even know that is coming my way. I believe this is what happens when we pray in the Spirit. And then Paul said, I will sing with my mind, and I will sing in the Spirit. What's that mean? I believe it means we get up and sing what we do in our language, which is English. We get up and sing a few worship songs, and then there's a time where to get off and sing in the Holy Ghost, to sing in tongues. If you've never seen that happen, hang around. Years ago, I was a young college student, and a, and a friend of mine took me to Oral Roberts University to one of Oral Roberts' conferences years ago, and I was a blessed man to be in that building. I don't know, I'm emotional today, I don't know why, but. I was a blessed man to be in that building and I was, I'm just, you know, I came out of a holiness church in the mountains and that's kind of all I had known, which was beautiful in itself. But I got in a building maybe with three or 4,000 pastors and they started singing beautiful worship music and then the music kind of lulled and everyone started singing in tongues. I'm talking probably 4,000 people singing in the spirit and it sounded like what I imagined heaven sounds like. It was the most beautiful harmonies, cascading sounds and waves of His glory. And I thought, this is what the Bible's talking about. I will sing with my mind and I will sing in the Spirit. There's a time and place for it. There's a way. Do it at home. If you can't sing that well, don't. we're not listening to you at home. Just go ahead and sing and sing in the Spirit. I drive and sing in the Spirit sometimes. I know people pass me and they think, man, is he like a... What's wrong with this dude, man? I'm just praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit. Pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watch to this with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. 
pray with all prayer and in the Holy Spirit. Of all of the armor of God mentioned from Ephesians 6.10 on down to this verse, the only offensive weapons that are mentioned are the sword of the Spirit and prayer. We have a power. We have an intercom that can get you out of the escape room. The old song, Oh, what needless pain we bear. Because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. We don't we carry around stuff sometimes trying to figure it out ourselves when really we just need to get alone and give it to the Lord. I'm going to brag on Jesus. Can I brag on Jesus here? You know, I've, I've talked a lot about what I came through in the last year, and I don't mean to just beat that like a dead horse, but hey, it's what I came through and what I walked through. But there were certain thoughts that bombarded me from every angle last summer that it was almost unbearable. And I thought, God, if I can just make it through tonight, the sun will come up in the morning, I'll be all right. And then I'd have another day, and, and it was just a fight. I, some of y'all been there, whether it's through grief or whether it's through divorce or bankruptcy or what, whatever, man. A lot of you have been there, and you know what I'm talking about. The battle sometimes gets so bad, you just think, God, let, let this night end. But I started praying. And I took it to the Lord in prayer. And I said, God, you've got to help me with this. You've got to take this from me, Lord. And I'm telling you, I've thought back about it. God did. There were certain, certain battles in my mind that were going on that I'm not going to share with you all. Certain battles were going on. God just took them. God just took them. And you know, often we pray and we never think about the answer to the prayer. We always just live in a need situation. Pray for me. <laughs> As we used to say in church, then we stand up and give an organ recital. Pray for my lungs and my heart and my brain. <laughs> That's all the organs we're reciting off. Of. We should give our prayer requests and we should pray, but we also should come back and give the testimony of how God answered our prayers. So when you make a prayer list, this is what I started doing. I would journal and I would make two columns, draw a line right down the middle of the page. And on the left-hand side, put the person's name or the thing I'm praying for. And then try my best to remember to go back and write in the answer once it came. And I'm telling you, once I started doing this, it was amazing at how much God answered how quickly he answered and how good he did it or well he did it. Come on, somebody. We serve a prayer answering God. We serve a prayer answering God. You start keeping a list and start watching what God will do in your life and in your family and the things that concern you. Jesus said, Matthew 21, Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree. He had just cursed a fig tree and it dried up right at the command of his word. But also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. 
That's a blank check. Say it with me. Whatever thing I ask in prayer, believing I receive. Come on, let's say it one more time. Whatever things I ask in prayer, believing I will receive. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying by that, there's talking about church authority, but I believe the real crux of it is I honor your words and your faith, and I honor it so much I'll command things in the heavens. When you command things on earth, when you loose and bind things on earth, I'll loose and bind things in the heavens because I honor the authority that you're walking in and the faith you have in your heart. And then he says after that, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Look at your neighbor and say, will you agree with me? That's all you need. That's all you need. One can put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. There's an exponential power and authority when you agree in prayer. That's why Satan hates marriages so much. That's why he hates. He tries to destroy the family. Why? Because God designed it where a man and woman would be together and walk in faith. And God knew that when they're together, they complement each other, they support each other. And when they come together in the spirit and in the spiritual things, no devil in hell can stand before them. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And then he said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. There's a corporate anointing. There's a corporate power of agreement. I can pray on my own and I move heaven and earth. We can agree with one or two others and move heaven and earth. But when we get five or six hundred of us together, think about the exponential power of that that's going to happen and going to shake heaven. Okay, a couple more things and we're going to pray. There's a prayer of intercession. You know what intercession is? Intercession is when you are standing in the gap for someone in need. And I've described it many times like this. It's like a secret service agent. The secret service agent has one job, and that's to protect the life of the president or the dignitary he's, he's guarding. And his, and his way of doing that is, if a shooter comes and shoots at the president, what's the Secret Service agent to do? He's to stand in the way, and he's to take the bullet himself. What does an intercessor do? You stand between destruction and the person you're praying for. And you say, no, stop, this far and no more. In Jesus' name. You can't have my family. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my finances. You can't have my joy. You can't have my victory. You can't have none of this glory, none of the anointing on my life because I stand right now and rebuke you. So how many of our kids would be lost and gone had we not stood in the gap and prayed for them? How many people in our community would have been destroyed had we not stood and prayed for them? If it wasn't for the church of the living God in Elizabeth City, my God, I wouldn't want to live here. 
Think about the churches in this area bonding together for prayer and interceding and preaching the word of God and loving people. It's really holding off judgment and destruction from coming on the whole. Come on, somebody. You remember the story of Abraham and Lot? We're going to pray. But you remember the story of Abraham and Lot? What did he do? Abraham had God visit him. God visited Abraham in his tent. And he came down and Abraham cooked dinner for him and his associates. And Sarah was listening in at the conversation. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. And Sarah's on the other side and she laughs. Because, this, you know, she was 90 and Abraham was 100. It's not going to happen. And so she laughs. Well, what happened? They had, she got pregnant and named the child Laughter. But then God says, we're leaving. Gets up. He and his associates, whatever that, some say it's Trinity, some say it's Angelicos. I don't know. They start walking towards Sodom and Gomorrah to see what was going on there and the sin. They were going to destroy it. And then the Lord stops and says... Can we hold from, from Abram what we're going to do? So they told Abram or Abraham. And Abraham thought, oh no, my nephew's down there. Whoa, 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 whoa. So he steps out in front. Lord, hold on, Lord. Just, just one second. L- let's make a deal. Would you spare the city if there were 50 righteous in the city? He's interceding. He's standing between the Lord and his nephew. He's standing between judgment and his family. And God says, well, okay, fine. For 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. Then Abraham says, hold on, Lord. I hate to bother you, but would you spare it for 45 people? God says, yeah, I'll spare it for 45. He's trying to whittle him down to the number of Lot's family, I believe. He says, hold on, Lord, would you, spare the, would you spare the city for 20 people or 30 people? He says, yeah, I'll spare it for 30. Then he says, okay, one more time, and I, I swear this is it. Would you spare the city for 10 people? And God says, I'll spare it for 10 people. The sad part of the story is he couldn't find 10 people righteous. But still yet, he sent angels in at night to go to Lot's house and rescue him and his family. You remember the story. Why did that happen? Because there was an uncle out in the desert who was praying for his family. There was an uncle out in the desert who had a direct line with God who was praying. How many of us would have been lost had we not had a grandma praying for us and calling out our names at night? Come on, somebody. How many of us would have been lost had we not had a grandfather or an uncle or a mom or dad calling out our names in prayer? And God saved that boy and saved his family because of a godly uncle who was believing God. That is the power of prayer. Stop being prideful. Go over and use the intercom. Call on Jesus. Tell him, Lord, I'm in trouble. And God, I need some help down here. Could you come quickly, Lord? Could you send help, God? Could you open up the windows of heaven? Could you send some power down? Could you send your angel host down, God? 
Could you move some situations? Could you cancel some debts, God? Could you cancel some things that are coming against me? Come on, would you move one more time? Could you move one more time in America, God? Could you send revival one more time before you come? Could you move in Elizabeth City one more time, God? Could you send revival before you rapture us out? Come on, everybody's standing in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody's standing. We're going to pray. Hallelujah. I remember the story of Samson in the Bible. Just one more time, God. Samson was a mighty man of God, but his strength wasn't in his arms or in his muscles. Strength was in his covenant he had with God. He was a Nazarite. He hadn't cut his hair since birth. He had, I don't know what kind of long hair he had, but he had it going on. It was a vow before God. And then a lady deceived him named Delilah and pulled him in and got the secret to his strength. And one day the Philistines came in while he was asleep in her lap and cut his locks of hair off. And he woke up and he had no strength left. And the Philistines thought, well, we've defeated Israel's greatest champion. We've defeated Israel's judge, the anointed man of God. And so they put him to grinding at a mill like a mule. They gouged out both of his eyes. And then one day, sometime later, they had a big party and festival. And they gathered all the dignitaries together and pulled them out and said, we're going to make fun of this mighty man of God. Bring him out here. But what they didn't realize is some time had passed. And in the suffering came great anointing. In the suffering and in the imprisonment came a great anointing on his life. And his hair started growing back out. And that covenant was renewed. And the strength came back to him. And they brought him out ready to make fun of him. And he looked at a little boy. We couldn't see, but he grabbed the little boy and he said, Hey, would you do me a favor, son? Would you put my hands on the pillars so I can just rest myself? And the boy helped him find the pillars and he put his hands on those pillars. And then he prayed a prayer, something like this. God, could you visit me one more time? Could you do it one more time like you used to? Could you do it one more time like when I was right with you? In the first, could you visit back that first love, God, and give me that back? And then he prays a great prayer. He pushes. The pillars come down. And the Bible says he killed more in his death than he did in his entire life. How many can raise your hand and say, God, do it one more time? Come on, do it one more time in my family. Come on, somebody, do it one more time in this church. God, visit us one more time. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for watching us online. Uh, we're so blessed to, to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved.
So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. I hope to see you again.